0: Welcome to Level with Emily Reese. This is music by Scientific, also known as Andy Warman, for Oxenfree. And it's part two of my conversation with Andy about Oxenfree and Oxenfree to Lost Signals. The first Oxenfree came out in 2016. The second is from July this year, 2023. And I love both games so very much, and the music so much. Uh, They're both coming-of-age stories in their own ways. The first, Oxenfree, is about a group of high school kids having a party on the beach. Oxenfree 2 deals with young adults, so slightly older than the first game, and these young adults are just trying to carve their path through life. Central to both games is the radio, radio waves, transmissions, transmissions through time and time loops. This gave Andy so many opportunities to do fun things with music. For instance, in Oxenfree 2 you have a portable radio just like you do in the first game. And in the second game, as you're flipping through channels on the portable radio you can stumble across a radio station featuring a DJ named Morgan Cooley. Morgan Cooley is Wren's uncle, and Wren is a character from the first game. So in real life, like now, your life and my life, there is a Morgan Cooley. And it's scientific. It's like an alter ego of sorts of scientific. He wouldn't really admit it, but you know. Uh, So these layers of music blur the lines of time and reality outside the game too, since Morgan Cooley actually exists. You can find Morgan Cooley albums on Bandcamp right now, one of which is a quote-unquote collaboration between Scientific and Morgan Cooley. So, so fun. Uh, And we do spend time talking about Morgan Cooley, and you'll hear some of that music in this uh, episode as well. One thing is certain, there's never enough time to talk with Andy about his music. And again, the games are just so, so great. I took out some of the larger spoilers, but I can't guarantee there aren't others. So if you want to play these games for the first time you haven't yet, uh, do that before listening here. It, it'll be worth it. They're so, so great. Join us on Discord to talk about this and other episodes. That link is down in the show notes. Uh, join us on YouTube, subscribe, like us. All those things help us out so very much. And if you can support us financially, head over to Patreon, patreon.com slash level. All right, so what we start off talking about here, Andy talks about some of the ARG stuff that they did around the release of the second game.
1: follow the ARG lead-up or any of the parentage stuff we did at all? I heard about
0: it late. I heard about it late, but yeah. No, I didn't. But I I'm know you t- did some ARG stuff. Did you do it out somewhere on an island out in Seattle, right?
1: Yeah, so that was the first ARG. Yeah, so okay. it, it culminated in players, real live humans, going to a real live place and digging up a music box that I built. Amazing. But for ARG for this, we one we didn't want to get into the you know logistics of uh, scavenger hunt and just wanted to do more like lore stuff. So we really dug into what the cult was. Parentage, Parent- the cult in the game, yeah. So we did a lot of of uh thought and, and and work on what that is, but we had at some point a little epiphany. So one of our writers was like, Well. In this history of this group, they had a piece of music, uh, and this again is me riffing on what writers do. So you just the script was just like music plays, and then just lyrics. And so I was thinking about the lyrics, and I was like, "Well, it's you know, it's kind of sing songy. We could, I have to figure out something for this." Uh, and then it dawned on me that the lyrics fit in a piece of music that already existed, which is in O free one this is actually a great segue Oxyfree free one is called lost and it is the music that um, Jonas's mother sings to him when he's a kid yes. All we kind of know about it. He's like, we hear it, and he says, Oh, yeah, this is this is this is, this is crazy. This is a song my mom sang to me when I was a little kid. So we uh went back and repurposed that to be the melody that this parentage cult uh their song is Amazing. based on. So that's in the, wow. if you go back, if you look on you know night school's Twitter, I think all the videos are there, but you'll hear it in these videos. So that's kind of a cheeky kind of mean in a way because people <laughs> do like the song I know it but we're like haha it turns out that maybe Jonas's mother was a member of this cult and the reason she knows this song is that it's something they sang Amazing. so yeah we went, revised our own history uh, with that so yeah that was a lot of fun doesn't appear on the soundtrack but is a really good connecting point between Oxenfree 1 and Oxenfree 2 <laughs>
0: You know, in the second game, the puzzles. What did you call the magnetic puzzle? Magnetic.
1: The magnetophone.
0: The magnetophone in the in the second game. In the first game, they're like real 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 to real tape machines, right? That you have set up.
1: First game, they're mag- magnetophones. Oh. In the second game, what do they ever refer to them? I don't think so. I don't think so. We just called them time loop puzzles. I think. Okay. <laughs> they have a cool name, but yeah, the oscilloscope. Yeah, a little dial thing. Uh huh.
0: Yep. Yep. That's in the second game, right? And then, yep. The first game has those, the tape machines, and you called them what?
1: Magnetophone.
0: Magnetophone. How do I not know that? How do I not know I what that is?
1: I don't, I can't remember either. But that, the, <laughs> that idea came up. So, one of the things we've done in both games, but I think the stuff that manifested most easily in Octopree 1 was like, okay, we got a radio. What can we do with it? And so they'd already come up with tuning portals. But I had a bunch of pitches for things we could do puzzle-related with audio. And one of them essentially was like turntables. What if we can speed up and slow down music and then to solve the puzzles to like match it like a DJ matches uh, beats and tempo. So that's how that started. And it was even, I was like, what if you like turn a thumbstick yeah. and that's speed up or slow down? So to get it going, you like have to match. Um, so yeah, that's how the magnetophone came to be. And then the music then is three layers. Then a bunch of trickery to make it all work together and sync up. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, then I did not come up with idea for the puzzles and Oxford free two, but it's like a more integrated uh, version of that. Cause it is audio and now visuals as well to get these kind of different axes to come together and mesh.
0: Yeah. The, I, I, I remember the first time I realized that the music that was stuck in my head one day was from the real to real, uh, puzzle in the first game, and I just started laughing, because it's such funny, quirky, um, kind of like crooked music, right? I mean, it's just this weird, I don't know, tell me about writing it, you know, because like you said, you had to write it in three parts that you could independently manipulate to make them line up, which was so cool the first time I did it. I was like, oh, what a fun idea, you know? So I, I, loved, I loved it, and the music.
1: The basis of that is just Beacon Beach and then like covering it in like as best I could with limited budget and means. Like what would it sound like if it was like um have you heard the you heard of Longines' Symphonette? I don't even know what the uh-huh. origin of it is. It's mentioned in a Tom Waits song, but it's kind of like the pre pre music or okay. like um What's the guy, the public television? Lawrence Welk. It's just like saccharine, like shallow music from, (laughs) I think, 50s and 60s. Yeah. Like post-war optimism, but it resulted in just the most boring music, you know, covers of things. But they would do, it just sappy. So I was like, well, I want to do, I want the plucky strings and like, you know, as light and dumb as it can possibly be, as if it's something you would hear Not necessarily World War II, but, you know, this is maybe a little later. Um, So I covered it with orchestral elements, and then, yeah, just split it into parts that seemed to be um, the most logical. To hear separately and then to pitch up and down until you could the player could understand. So there's a lot of trickery in that and it's this is even broader for like adaptive music in games I've worked on where we have to have separate layers. It's like they all have to work together, but they still have to have some sort of logic or sense when heard separately. A lot of stuff doesn't so this is this is kind of the under the hood stuff that a lot of people don't get about scoring for video games and that makes it so difficult is we can't just like write three minutes of music and expect that that's what the player will hear or the listener will hear from beginning to end we have to have all these contingencies about comprehension so say we have a, a i don't know let's say a bass part that is very uh, overt with its rhythm and you get that oh this is the one bum 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 and then you put something more syncopated on top that doesn't like doesn't start on the one you know it's like bum da 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 if you don't have that overt rhythm underneath and you just say here's this syncopated part you can't identify it's much more difficult to identify where it starts so the listener is like kind of let loose. Or even if you don't, you're not starting, you don't have a root note that's really obviously saying, this is in this key. Um, if you're let loose from key and rhythmically from where it starts, it can be a, uh, a mess or confusing to the listener. Sure. So that's something I have to take into account with different layers and things that can drop in or out is always making sure like that the player, the listener, understands at least the rudiments of what's going on musically so that they can they under their brain slots things in correctly. before video games, when I just made music for me, I, I'd play with these things intentionally. Like, haha, it's funny that this bass line seems like one thing, but when the drums come in, you realize, oh, it was not even in the same... You know, it's like 3-4 four versus 4-4, four, four. and then you, you're like, oh, I get it now. Like, some stuff in video games is so quick, you don't have that opportunity. So this isn't a specific example, but this is like what it would be like. It's like, well, if we have four layers of different instruments, and they can all come in and out at any time, we have to make sure that every single one plays the one so that no matter what the player's hearing, they understand the rhythm. Like, oh, I get that. And when the next part will come in now. Yeah. And they'll just better comprehension of what's happening musically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's something that like uh, we have to consider uh, constantly. And even time-wise, like phrasing. Like, well, we'd... St- stop this after like one and a half bars, that's bad. So we have to like <laughs> let it play to two or four or whatever is most logical mm-hmm. in terms of phrasing to move to the next part so the player doesn't get, you know, unless it's intentional, they do not get you know, uh, out of balance I guess with what's, what's supposed to be happening.
0: Yeah. There, I I noticed that in, in a few of your tracks where you kind of you know, maybe like halfway through the tune, I'll be like, oh, wait, what happened to the downbeat? I thought it was here. And we talked about when we did this thing, um, it was like a month ago, um, where we were just listening to some of your tracks uh, together on, on YouTube, myself and Sam, who mixes the show. Um, and we just literally, I hadn't heard any of the soundtrack and so we're just like pick a number let's listen to a track and I wish I remember now because I heard it in the game I just didn't I wish I would have made a note about it but there's one in particular I'll find it for the podcast uh for the final final product but um but we both both of us were really into that we we love that we're like for a minute there I thought it was here but now I'm like wait does that beat two yeah. instead of beat one or is that beat one and instead of beat one or yeah that's pretty great
1: You know, time signatures and whatnot, obviously a ton in in prog rock, but I'm a a very specific sort of nerd from the, I guess, early 2000s. Like, there was a lot of electronic music that got really brainy, like, probably in an unfun way for a lot of people. (laughs) I really, really liked it, like this kind of... And a lot of it was based around, like, remixing rap songs. Uh in you know not necessarily weird intentionally but just kind of very experimental ways there's this band called funk Storung who did a wu-tang clan remix okay and it was a fish. and the word i had heard was rizza heard it and was just like what is this trash okay but put it on a record and a lot of that style of music i really love and a lot of it plays with really upsetting like normal rhythmic inventions and I was even like DJing it so I was DJing some weird wow. skitter, music. And in my best attempt to like get people like, hey, what do you think of this? And a lot of times that's unsuccessful. I guess the most famous examples would be this has close crossover with like um you know, like late nineties, like Apex Twin and Square Pusher and and things like that. That's more on the drum and bass frenetic yeah. end of why well, I was more in the slower down-tempo things, or DJ Shadow, things like that. There's a few DJ Shadow remixes that get really, really cool and rhythm- rhythmically complex. But a lot of that, it's a lot of that influence. It's like from way, way back, I've always just really appreciated that.
0: There's a track uh, in the first which comes back in the second. Um, it's called, in the first game, it's called Clean Slate, I think, all one word. And then in the second, it's, I think, Cleaned Slate, I think and it's heard, something like that. Um, and, and what I love about this is the melody is like a perfect little loop, right? So, and I remember in our last conversation, because I listened to it again, uh, I didn't otherwise. <laughs> remember this from a year ago but you say in there how much you love loops it's when we're talking about writing in a major key interestingly enough uh, but you also talk about how you love loops and I and I just wondered like in a you know with a melody like the one that happens in Clean Slate where it does just perfectly loop back to itself is that a challenge you presented yourself was it a happy accident was it a little of both I mean do you remember
1: don't. <laughs> not only do I not, the the updated version was part of those early experiments with like, hey, what can I bring back from Oxford? Okay. And one of the easiest things, accidentally one of the easiest things, like I mentioned, this game isn't, none of these, neither of these games is scoring like themes for a character. And it's more about vibes. That means when I go back to something, I can say, oh, well, I can use this because it didn't. it's not somebody's theme that's not in the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and this was one of the ones where I was just like, I'm just going to fiddle with this. I'm going to kind of revise it and see where it goes and if it could work. And if it does and it gets the Noxifree 2, then it's a great trigger to for players to like, oh, I kind of recognize that. But also, you know, it just makes that connection between the two. Because that was, and it, it's somewhat overt. Point of all of this was that the two games are closer together than uh, it could seem. So obviously, like characters came back. Alex comes back, mm-hmm. even the rest of it in a low key way. And another thing we did in the lead up to Oxenfree Two was we actually made radio stations. And put them in Oxid-Free One. So the uh, the parentage teens, so Violet, Olivia, and Charlie, uh, are in now in Oxid-Free One. They are on. Yes. So this happened very low key, and we did. We hinted at players, like I think with yeah, we did videos where we hinted at a, like a location on Edwards Island and a radio frequency. And so these were content updates that did not exist in the game. Okay. That then players could go visit and get... And this was a year or a year and a half before Oxenfree 2 came out. You'd you get to hear these characters and be like, ah, who, who the hell is this? This is weird. And kind of, you know, we wanted to stoke the fires of what's happening in Oxenfree 2. But it works in this mythology because it's all about time loops. So there's really no reason... Those can't exist in the Oxenfree one like time frame. And so, again, with music, kind of that same thing. It's like kind of mining and remixing uh, just to provide some stronger connections that aren't necessarily like, here's Alex, here's your theme. Uh, and more just like we're hearing broadcasts, you know, we're just like, in, we're intercepting what we're hearing. And it's something that's like floating around the environment. Um, I've always called it ghosts. For no better way to put it, but like the island's haunted and this is the stuff that's there. So no matter when, even if you were in between games and were able to go to the island and turn on a radio, you'd hear this stuff.
0: the first there is quite a startling well there are a number of startling things that happen but but the end the end yeah because listen I don't play a lot of games that are like scary you know and I wouldn't call this like a Friday night at Freddy's or anything like that but it's you know it's spooky and and especially in the second there's a jump scare that consistently has gotten me um But those are kind of few and far between. It's more just the concept of like, you know, being caught in this terrible, awful, I mean, version of a purgatory where you're repeating time. And and so, you know, some of those things are very horrific. But um, the ending of the first one was something that stuck with me. You know, I, I, I would think about like that very last line of that first game so often I'd be like, oh, my God just that empty feeling that you get from thinking that thought, you know, just like, Oh my God. And then, I don't know. I found that to be such a great way to end, end the game just to force me to, you didn't even force me to it. Just, it really stuck with me and made me think over and over again. Cause I thought I got the good ending. Right. And I did. (laughs) I, I think I did still, you know, but, uh, to no avail, which, which is pretty powerful.
1: Yeah, and it's something, yeah, and I agree. And going even back to what you mentioned about jump scares, like, you know, there's horror in that sense of, of uh, you know, jump scares and ooh and gore and blood. Uh, and we do do some of that and almost kind of in a ha-ha way of like, <laughs> oh, we got to throw in a couple, gotcha. But there are deeper things that to me are scarier. Yeah. Um, it's and this deals with a lot of them, which is like not just memories and the, and and what those are for reality, but also then like, well, what if things were different, or uh, I did this differently and made this choice, and like that's scary stuff. Like, walk down the wrong side of the street and I never would have met my wife. Like that kind of thing is way more terrifying than, yeah. you know, blood were um and so that's something we really got to play with and i think is very in both games and is very effective of making those choices more overt Mm -hmm. like you know with her with michael and you know what if he she could bring him back that sort of thing and then that tied with the more personal existential thing of like well the same shit's just happening over and over
0: <laughs> ad nauseum um, yeah
1: that is much more emotionally effective for me like i always think and, pe- and people have uh, interpreted it differently but the end of the graduate i think one of the smartest things i've ever seen is you know you know have you i'm assuming you've seen the graduate or remember? oh yes deals yeah. are from the altar and like haha woo, ah. but the last thing is them getting on the bus and everybody looking at them and they're all like and then they kind of go And then they get right immediately to this, like, well, you know, just, like, malaise. And it's so sad because it's supposed to be this, like, triumphant moment. And they do such a good job of being like, not really. Yeah. Now it's um. So, yeah, I really, really like that, those sorts of feelings. And so to play with that in those two ways, I think, with, like, oh, what if I could? Or this slight little difference could makes such a big difference in the way reality plays out mm-hmm. or yeah, being trapped there also is, is terrifying as well. Um, yeah. Glad you like the end, but yeah, it's, it's just one of the things that it really reflects in the music is just like, that's the stuff I find most fascinating or interesting and not to bag on, you know, more character centric things. And this is, I think why the night school writers are so good is they can abstract them so even beyond just like, oh, I identify with this character, there's things that are just like extremely impactful because they be, they're they stated so universally. Yeah, but Like, Riley and her, her dad talking about why her mom was gone was like, that never happened to me, but I'm like, totally understand mm-hmm. the emotional weight of that because it's uh, written so well.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that I appreciated so much about the games, both games too, is you're getting the sense from each character that everyone has trauma. Like everyone has had, has faced tragedy or is facing tragedy or will face tragedy. And so you get glimpses into everybody's struggle and understanding that you want to help everyone and you can't. And, uh, you know, that's something you especially explore as the big twists and turns happen in the second game of, okay, how can everyone win? And you're like, well, what do you mean by win, right? And so it's, I I really like that. And I think that's one reason why someone like me, who's 46 years old, could relate so well with the high school kids in the first game, you know, because they're, they're all dealing with awful things or difficult things, maybe not necessarily awful, but difficult things, some of them awful, and trying to also figure out how to relate to other people just in real life while you're carrying this baggage, you know?
1: Yeah. 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 And um, it's like the conversation Riley has with her own son (laughs) As a yeah. at different points in her life, but it, from her perspective in the game, like, oh, well, you know, it's all new to her, but like the older version of him kind of saying, like, well, you fucked up, but that's okay, is yep. like, yeah, again, like nobody's gonna have that experience, at right. least not now. <laughs> Time traveling <laughs> children coming back, like, you're a bad, bad mom, uh, but. More broadly, they just have a ton of impact because there's something relatable. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's even one of the impressive things with the move from teen protagonists to adult protagonists, like late, you know, late 20s, I guess we'd say. Um, and that shift on the surface may seem crazy. Oh, you're going from young adult to like adult adult. Like, how are people going to follow you? And it's like, well, if you treat them, you know, with respect and the themes are universal enough, it'll work. Mm -hmm. And like, I think, you know, I think this is a really successful example of that. It's like, it's well written enough and impactful enough that it becomes universal and nobody's going to be like mad that... uh, well, the teens, you know, they're too old or the, even the teens in this one are too young or I don't get it anymore. It's like if it's universal enough, it doesn't matter.
0: One of the other universal things is how, you know, because there are, as we've talked, teens in the second game too, but the main characters are the ones who are older in their upper 20s or, or whatnot, and how those younger kids in the second game, everyone who's not their age is just old, right? It doesn't matter that they're only like 26 or 28 or whatever. They're like, no, you're like 40-something. And I remember that, you know, not really having a sense for how old adults are. And and I just love that because it it... Really, it's like cracking through the facade of what a teenager wants to be. They want to be the grown-up. They want to be the adult. But they can't because they can't see anyone as the age they are or whatever. Yeah.
1: (laughs) This is very brief, but the funniest example I have of that is when my nieces, when they were like three or four, I was babysitting and they called me old and I was like, oh, I am old. How old am I? And they thought for a minute and one said, oh, old, like eight <laughs> yeah the perspective of like right word perspective everything's just collapsed like oh they, they thought of the t- biggest number she could eight eight
0: Well, let's talk about, uh, just. I know we've, we've been going at it for, for a bit here, and I, again, just appreciate your generosity with your time. Um, the, some of the specific tracks in, in Oxenfree the First, of course, we have to talk about Epiphany Fields. It's like, it's just iconic, right? darker opening for the second game. And and you mentioned how the op- the first game doesn't start like that, but we didn't really say the first game starts basically kind of like a party like a party sort of. You're like trying to get a party going, so there's that energy of like, "Oh my gosh, we we told our parents we're at each other's houses. And now we're on this beach on this island and we're going to have this all nighter and we're drinking beer by the fire and fucking around with an old radio and opening time loops. And, but I mean, the, the beginning, you know, there's just that energy, which I, which I really love. And, and as you mentioned, you kind of carry that through, um, into the, um, and, and I think Epiphany Fields captures that really well too, even though we're kind of past that by then. So, so talk to me a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, that I I think I mentioned earlier. And what's so weird is that was off the cuff. We need a song for Ren's band. Right. And so I, yeah. what would Ren be into? Kind of like, I guess, if I, I identify with anybody in this game, kind of like me, like he's he would be into music that's cooler than everybody else. Even though everybody thinks he's a nerd, he likes the cool stuff. And I think at that time I was like, oh, it'd probably be like... um. You know, like kind of dreamy pop music like Toro y Moi or Washed Out. And so I was just like, okay, now I gotta, in 20 minutes, make some like, you know, I forgot, was that Vaporwave? I forget, no, I forget. If, there was a word for it even at the time. It's been so long, it's like 10 years. Um, but I was like, I'm just gonna make one of those types of songs. And so heavy sidechain compression and some are ah, vocals <laughs> and and then I was like okay done. Baby carrots was the one I was like, Well what if they are doing more than like synths on a computer and he like they play real real instruments or they try once thanks to Morgan Cooley loaning in some instruments or whatever. And then I think Sean or Bryant or someone at night school is like, oh, no, this is too cool to just throw on the radio. Like, we want to put this in the game. And so both of those other two songs uh, ended up in the game as score. And it was like really worked out well because then it is perfectly set in the tone. Unlike Oxford Free 2's start, like Oxford Free 1, people don't know what they're really getting into. So having it be like, aha, you know, kind of teen fun time. Uh, fit perfectly. So I tried to have the underpinnings of what's going on in this game influence the music as much as possible so the most obvious is like everything sounds ratty and shitty because it's all like radio broadcasts uh, old tape recorders mm-hmm. it's an idea that, that somebody planted somebody I worked with planted in me a lot a long long time ago was that something I had done he said it's 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 nostalgic to me but I could never tell you what for what or what time or era it's just hitting that sure so it's like That drove a lot of this was like, well, I want it to be kind of, it's not supposed to be all old cassettes. It's supposed to be everything, time loop time, essentially from the Cantaloupe disaster Mm. through whatever the present day is, all of that. And so I was even doing like glitchy loops and MP3 compression and things, and they just didn't end up fitting quite right. But that was the idea. Okay. So one of the things that ended up being just not texture, sonic texture, but was the idea of like, you know, something that's old or a part of time is like now slowed down mush, because it's a seventy eight and you only have a, you can only play it at thirty three or something like that. Yeah. So a specific example that I do remember because it's so overt is from Oxyfree One is against the rocks and against the waves where okay against. And this is just like, oh, I just played this little piano thing. Made a little loop. And then Against the Waves is just that pitched down an octave or two, playing really, really slowly, dun, 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 dun. and then me writing new stuff on top of that. Like the word recursive. Sure. And there's so much definition sonically in music, but I was like, what if I kept doing that? What if then I, you know, slowed it down even more and then slowed it down again and wrote new stuff and just kept doing that? Like, is it possible uh, to do that infinitely? You know, kind of like a fractal. Yeah. Um, In ways, sure, but also in ways, no, because you get to the point where the sonic definition of, you know, 44,000 samples per second or... 96, even you know, you've gotten down to inaudible ranges really quickly. Sure's so gone. Yeah. Um, did use a lot of that even in the ARG and when I was doing puzzles and things was okay. just like, here's this song. And if you quadruple the speed, you'll realize that there was Morse code playing. It was just so low that you couldn't, it's not audible when you're playing at normal speed, but you speed it up and it's like four minutes long. Now it's like two seconds, and it says something in Morse code. I did a lot like that. So, getting back to melodies and things was those ideas of... And this, actually, I do this... Is it To The Summit? Mm, Love that one. So, yeah, okay. This is actually... Whatever, clean slate. This is the best example of this. (laughs) Good. (laughs) Melody degrades, but not like a tape. The actual, like, it's like you remember a melody... So every time it plays through, there's one less note until it's just one note left. So that's the idea of a loop, time loop or a tape loop, but instead of, yeah, sonic quality, it's literally remembering the notes that are played. And it is just like, okay, now, you know, this time there were eight, now there's seven, now there's five, and now there's just one. And that's like the last note of that piece. Thank you. That's probably the most literal example of that sort of thing coming into play where the ideas for the game have affected not even just the recording or production process, but the actual songwriting.
0: Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I was also curious at, well, this actually doesn't necessarily come from me. This comes from the same uh, patron I was mentioning at the early uh, outset where um, he kind of noticed it was not quite as melodic, whatever. Um, but he also he's lives up in the Pacific Northwest and was very curious how that landscape did affect you musically, because the landscape is like totally what the game is about, right? You're traversing this pretty harsh landscape, this Pacific Northwest, craggy, mountainous, harsh, musty, dewy, foggy world. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yep. t- how did how did that uh, aff- affect the music
1: for you? It's huge and was before I knew what the game was uh when Sean at Night School got in touch and was like would you be interested in scoring this and they showed me the first bits I was like oh yeah that was easy <laughs> and it was because like I know what this place sounds like to me. Yeah. And um looks like and yeah feels like i've done a lot of camping i like to hike so i do spend time uh absorbing the yeah the cascadian like especially on this side of the cascades the west side is yeah kind of perpetual like gray uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you get up in the mountains enough like way wetter than it actually is in like seattle not dumping rain but just like everything's covered in moss Mm -hmm. uh and just perpetually just kind of like, yeah, foggy and and it just fit, you know. So I like that was the one thing was like the demos for Oxpre One was just like writing to that vibe before knowing characters or story or anything. And then a lot of that ended up in the game, just because it's like, well, this is what it I guess sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the artist Heather on Oxygen One is from the area as well, and oh. so yeah, we just we were already in tune. So when Night School is like, we want to do something in the Northwest, we already had it in our in our blood.
0: about that last time.
1: Born, yeah, I think we did. Born in Minneapolis but moved here really early. So okay. I've been in the since I was 3 years old. Yeah.
0: Have you been back to Minneapolis?
1: I once. I did a a show there. I did a rescore, a friend and I were invited to a um a, a Movie, a film slash music festival where we rescored a uh, film. So we did like a live, cool. weird electronic score. And that was, I think that's the only time I've been back. Yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, just being fascinated by how every single building downtown is connected by sky bridges. And I was like, Skyways, yeah. I was there in summer and I was like, why? (laughs) I was like, well, (laughs) (laughs) it's
0: still cold. Yeah, come visit in January or February and you'll find out why. (laughs) There was uh, many years ago, I think 2018, maybe. I'd have to think now, um, the Super Bowl was here. And we had just gotten a new stadium, which is how you get a Super Bowl, right? And um, and I was just – because in February, which is when the Super Bowl is, it's usually the coldest time of year here. But you can have, like, normal winter days where it's, like, 25 or 30 degrees. But it was, like, 17 below. And I was so glad. I was like, now you people know what it's like <laughs> to live here. All you people coming here for the Super Bowl, you get the actual true – Minneapolitan experience of just how awful it is. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're getting, don't get nearly that cold here. You right. know, it's just all the time. It's never like torrential downpours or like crazy blizzards. It's just kind of just always kind of gray. Even now, it's the middle of summer. And I went out this morning. It was just kind of like mist, like yeah. damp <laughs> northwest. But I love it.
0: I felt like I could spend, you know, several more weeks listening to all this music and playing the games over and over again and still uncovering, you know, just like peeling the layers back and finding all the all the easter eggs. What were some of your favorites that we haven't talked about? Are there any?
1: Well, yeah, I think kind of back to the ARG stuff and nothing over, hmm. but that's a really that's just been really fun because it's like I think the genesis of it was, as I mentioned earlier, I we kind of jammed on puzzle ideas. And so I had like, oh, what if we did this audio thing? And, and, and it was a lot of audio-based uh, trickery. But we really realized that if we put puzzles that are too difficult in the game, we're going to, it's just, we'll trip up the narrative. Like, we didn't want it to be like, oh, this person's really loving the story, but then they got to this impossibly difficult puzzle where they had to decode whatever bullshit I made up. Um, So we basically said, we're not going to do that. So even the puzzles that are in are relatively simplified. Yeah. So so they're interesting and intriguing, but it's not like a point where players would give up.
0: Yeah, I'm grateful for that.
1: Yes. Yeah, and it was the smart choice. Yeah. So what we did... And they're like, well, we seem to have some... Well, we planted the seed for an ARG in the game. And we thought, yeah, if it's it's not popular nobody cares, we don't have to do anything. That's just it. There's some Morse code and it says something and that's that. But then when it took off and people got interested, then it was like, okay, well, let's do all that stuff. So the first example was... uh, Or the first thing to uncover, I believe, was that a song... On Bandcamp, Beacon Beach. The melody is playing Morse code. Oh
0: God! And so
1: it's it's very slow. The melodic changes are very slow, so it's mostly rhythmic. So it was actually easy to get dots and dashes in. But on Bandcamp, you can change files. And outwardly facing, nobody knows. So everybody goes downloads download this song. I can ch- then change it, change the Morse code. And overtly, nobody would ever notice. But if you're then tuned into this ARG stuff happening, we could change the message and send a different message. So again, we're playing with, you know time loops and and temporal things, something that seems permanent. Oh, this song, that song itself has changed. Start of that, and then we got to do all kinds of things with like phase cancellation. We did, we got to the point where it was like now there's like Morse code in either channel and it's backwards. Oh my god, but if you have tools, you can you know just flip it around and listen to one channel only and decode that. Um, so yeah, there was a lot we got to play with a lot of that sort of thing, uh, to the point where. It was central to the ARG, not at all central to the games, but then just became kind of like, yeah, a fun Easter egg thing to do to the point where there was a different sort of code hidden in one song from Oxyfree 2 that a couple people s- solved. Oh, my and God. And so, like, messaged me on Twitter with, like, what that message, secret message says, kind of like, haha, we found it. And it's been really fun to do that stuff not having an ARG hinge on it, it's just kind of there for fun. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think by now we're down to, in terms of like things to decode, there's still one code extant that nobody's figured out. Okay. That's buried somewhere. So I'm still hoping they'll figure that, or we'll be able to put it to good use in the future if we decide to do more, I don't know, ARG-ish stuff. Yeah. Uh Yeah, and all of that—it's—it's fun, and it's kind of (laughs) stupid, but it fits with the games, and so that's the thing—is it's not just me like fucking around. It's not just like, ah, as I can, I like codes. It's like it's so much of it has to do with the narrative of these games, like the Canaloa disaster and all the military stuff, and that Maggie Adler was up in this comm tower, like trying to sort all this stuff and transmitters. Um, all of it kind of fits. And so it's totally appropriate yeah. to stupid codes in, in music <laughs> and break the Like I mentioned, like kind of Morgan Cooley making an appearance in game then really blurs the lines between, you know, real and fake. Cause there's even, uh, you know, I have a collaboration album with Morgan Cooley, uh, <laughs> And so if people really want to dig, it's like, well, where does it begin or end? It's like when you watch a movie and there's an actor in it and they reference some other movie that yeah. they were co- somebody else was in. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the kind of like, wait, you were in Game of Thrones and you just mentioned Game of Thrones. That's weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing where it just kind of gets too self-referential for its own good.
0: I can't wait to listen to that Morgan Cooley album.
1: (laughs) Here's a thing that exists. Yeah. Predates Oxenfree by like six years Which is extra Morgan it's Cooley just like,
0: predates Oxenfree? Uh,
1: Morgan Cooley Was making music like in 2008 I think <laughs> uh, And it was just That was just something that existed out there It was like oh we could work this in Sure Let's put him on the station So this is just fake? an alter ego of yours Oh maybe <laughs> maybe, not. <laughs>
0: maybe, maybe not Okay Happening got my
2: hands on something they, they call pirate radio, and that doesn't seem fair. It seems liberated, it's pre radio,
0: and uh, yeah, you know, and it's not even just the obviously the music. You know, for those unfamiliar with Music Through the Hearts of Space, uh, you know, public radio show that's been on, I think, since the 70s. And it's the same dude who must be 922 years old by now. Um, but that's that's the huge biggest piece of it is the delivery of Morgan Cooley's yeah. DJ presence, right? Which I know a thing about having been on radio my most of my adult life. It's like, you know, I have a voice and I don't intend to do it, but I do it. And Mor- <laughs> I don't think Morgan Cooley... I think Morgan Cooley probably talks like that in real life too, but um, just his delivery delivery of just like, let's go. We've been on Earth for a while. I mean, it's just so like slow. It's like someone slowed him down, but that's just how he is. I just I love that. You nailed it. It's great. <laughs>
1: Just a dumb thing that that we managed to fit in from my past of just and honestly I will say it totally yeah songs from the hearts of space or you know uh Wyndham Hill Manheim Wyndham steamroller Hill, all
0: Manheimer. kind of
1: like thing we all made fun of when I was little oh I loved it you know, <laughs> you know when I was in punk bands I was like oh, this is stupid shit ha 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 got into sampling and all that stuff was like a dollar in the dollar bin at record stores and then I said, yeah. (laughs) something that's been a dumb, fun thing to do. And it really is just coincidence that this ended up uh, being part of Oxenfree lore. Yeah. Because we're all, we're pretty much just like, ha ha, wouldn't it be funny if and then the game got popular. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we thought it was funny that Morgan was in, you know, referenced as as, as Ren's uncle and now it's like popular so it's in the real world Um, so yeah fully ambient album that is me and Morgan
0: love it that um, was one of the things that I like about Morgan saying hi to Wren on the air because Ren being from the first one of the characters in the first game and knowing that Ren is stuck in this loop like does Morgan, where is Ren? Where is Ren? <laughs> and how is Morgan, like, does Morgan Mor- know that Ren is stuck? Like, he's like, hi, Ren. Could. Um, yeah.
1: So, yeah, part of lore is that Morgan was probably a member of parentage. Right. And so he might have been, you know, in with the group that was manipulating portals and, okay. and whatnot as well. So, TBD, I think, (laughs) (laughs) the details. Yeah. Uh, But again, um, if we consider timelines and we pretend for a second that when we as players hear the radio in Oxenfree 2, we could be hearing a broadcast that's 15 years old. Wow. Like, that's one thing I really love. So, obviously, there's the interaction stuff like Maria talking to Charlie. and obviously, walkie stuff where Riley is actually conversing with people. But there's no reason for these radio broadcasts to have being in the same time period, right? As we're, within which we're hearing. Even I think if you listen to the whole baseball game broadcast, yep. There's weird continuity stuff within. You know, if you line them all up, and which somebody has, I've noticed on YouTube, somebody's been capturing all the radio stations and uploading them. There's weird discontinuity issues with that as well. So within this one, either, you know, sub-tiny little micro-story within the Oxenfree universe, even within that, it's like a little like, wait a second, buddy. This doesn't all make sense.
0: Yeah, how are we in this inning? I seem to remember it being something like that in the first playthrough. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the self, the self awareness. Yeah,
0: yeah. Amazing, such great stuff, and um, you know, I mean, the music I'll be listening to for the rest of my life. It's just great. I just love it. I love it. I love it.
1: Yeah, it's definitely close to me, and I think, yeah, it's been a long time now. Collectively, this has been almost as long as the other as Jet which we worked on for so long, you know, and it becomes so much a part of me and even like the evolution of like, you know, eight years into a project going back and being like, oh, I'm working on a song that started eight or 10 years ago. Amazing. Well, with Jet, you know, one of those, I think I mentioned this is a remix of something I did in like 2001. Yeah. So it was like many years of time passed in between starting something and that iteration—I don't even want to say finishing—but that iteration, we're kind of there with oxenfree stuff because the first, the earliest dates on oxenfree projects for me are in 2014, the very end of 2014. Yeah. Okay. Coming up on years of, of, I think Arcadia Station would be kind of like the most recent iteration on something that started in 2014. 10 years of free,
0: I'd, I'd be okay with that
1: <laughs> I would be too I love it I have no I'm I think this is rare too I mentioned not liking music that it's done mm-hmm. but that as part as a component of larger projects and super proud of it and not sick of any of it yeah. like I good really that I get to look back fondly and be like oh yeah this game rules and I love how they use this music and hmm pretty universally across everything I've done.
0: earlier you mentioned you know you're working on things you can't talk about which good hooray Uh, anything you're working on that you can talk about
1: you know what no because (laughs) it used to be there was always something cooking that was announced but now it's since i'm only working on night school projects we i think it's you know pretty obvious we're working on something else and until it's announced, yeah, that is that is in the vault. Um, okay. But yeah, so on, on uh, work is definitely in progress and ongoing because we overlap. It's not like we finished Oxenfree two and we're like, okay, what are we doing next? Like, you know, we already have something else. Yep. Uh, in, in in process, but then it's just you know, video games. <laughs> so it's hard to say. Like, oh, I can't wait! In six months, we get to talk about this. Like. Yeah. <laughs> It's all top secret and in 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 flux, just like all video game stuff is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, nothing I can disclose. Well, at least um, there's
0: something there. That's good.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the closest is I uh, the final non-night school thing that I had done, which was a series of games for Tenderclaws. It was virtual 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 reality and. Yeah, VVR uh, finally got those together and put those on Bandcamp last week, and so those will be, Spotify and whatnot soon. Um, So yeah, so I guess there's a whole new soundtrack to pre-existing games that is just getting announced now, just because it was such a mammoth project to compile for tons of reasons. One, there's so much music between the games, but also. Yeah, this is a whole, this is for a whole nother podcast, but um, VVR one, one of the conceits of it was it's like it takes place in this pseudo corporate universe where this corporation controls everything. So the vast majority of the music is based on one melody. Oh, so, oh. parse how to make a soundtrack that just wasn't repetitive guck <laughs> for, <laughs> over and over. Cause we were, it's like, what's the shitty corporate? A lobby waiting room music version of this what's the uh, you know poppy uh, pharmaceutical ad version of this and just did that over and over and I was like nobody wants to hear that over and over and over so it took a long time to like carve it into a soundtrack that made sense as something people would like mm-hmm. listen to have annoyed mm-hmm. but yeah story for another day That's the most recent, like, thing that was last week. And then, like I said, Spotify, it'll pop up there uh, soon as well. Okay. Then, yeah. I believe that's the last thing floating pre-night school for me. Everything else is out in the wild or long ago canceled uh, and buried, which there's plenty of that. Yeah. Do you
0: own any of that music or is it all buried?
1: I do. I
0: believe... I don't
1: think I've done. I think I've I've, I've been really good about my contracts reverting rights to anything unused. Then is mine. Okay. So yeah. So bubbles up for other projects, but then I do always have this like in the back of my mind, like, oh, I'll compile it and like put it on Bandcamp, just because it is. But also, that's really difficult because it is just scraps of different styles and things.
0: Yeah. What do you think about, you know, the soundtrack experience, like taking the music you made for the game and, and making it into a soundtrack? Do you find that enjoyable or is it kind of tedious? Or what do you what do you
1: think about that process? It can be tedious for sure. I don't mind it, you know. I'm just used to doing everything DIY. So, like, VVR was the toughest, like I mentioned, mm. the reason. But just also just because it's, like, so much music, like, 39... Mm songs and that's even edited down you know getting rid of stuff like ah nobody wants to hear this kind of stuff but I I, it's just something I put up with but like at least for Oxenfree 2 I got to use a real mastering engineer so that helped relieve some of that pressure but it is a lot it's a lot of work Mm -hmm. like sequencing, arranging properly mixing properly then the mastering and getting everything prepped um can take a ton of time. Yeah. If I didn't care much, it'd be way easier. But like I said, with VVR and VVR2 was like, making it a sensible, like, whole took a long time. Mm-hmm. Progress since, I don't know, VVR2 came out sometime last year. Um, mm. So yeah, it's been a, a long, tedious process, but also, like, I don't not that I get tired of it or sick of it it's just that there isn't enough hours in the day to like focus and make it right yeah because every single second of music then I have to like review for mixes errors if there's an error I gotta fix it or if I decide to make a mix change after listening on like earbuds Mm -hmm. something's too short all of that stuff then is a loop that is several times as long as however that piece of music how long that piece of music is, because to review it again, gotta listen to it from beginning to end. And yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Andy. I love your shit, man. <laughs> thank
1: you well, thank you. Yeah, this is this is what are we on? We're over two hours now. Whew.
0: I know. I I suspected, but I didn't want to assume that we'd chat that long. Uh, you know, when I first started doing this show, well I can't even say that because there was a time in my past where this was a five-minute show. That's long, long, long time ago when I was when making it for somebody else. But um, then for a while there, I was like 45 minutes. That's my max. I can't sit and talk to anybody for more than 45 minutes. Luckily, I grew out of that. Um, but now I do try to keep it to an hour. You know because I think for an episode because once I add music that could that could add like 10 more minutes to it right if I'm adding 30 second chunks every once in a while of, of music um but I kind of figured this might be a, a long one like our first chat when we talked about jet and Gibbon so um
1: yeah I'm grateful and happy to talk and that's those are my favorite our deep dives yeah. as well yeah it was really really fascinating yeah and for this especially for projects that are so long it's actually fun to like dig with your help like dig up memories of things like oh yeah i forgot about this and yeah or like the ones where i literally i i maybe i'll get back to you with like the clean slate a more solid answer on that (laughs) just like so long ago i remember
0: (laughs) it's it's great i've loved it all so thank you so much for everything
1: Yeah, well, thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Level With Emily. You can learn more about Scientific. See a playlist and support Level With Emily at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of my chat with Andy on the Level With Emily YouTube channel. And please do like and subscribe to that channel so you don't miss any of our new videos. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Yeah, he is. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Level With Emily, and learn more about us at levelwithemily.com. Made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Composer Brad Gentle manages our YouTube channel. Level With Emily Reese is a production of June Media, Inc. Here at Level With Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from Our Friends in the Community at audiopodcast.org. Yay yeah, is